Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash have a drink show. Are you tired of podcasts that only have one topic? Do you listen to shows and wonder, why do I have to wait a whole other episode to cover another topic? Do you look at your liquor shelf and wonder, why can't I have two scotches at the same time? There has to be a better way. Well, on Have a Drink, we're practically giving the topics away. It's, it's a two-for-one special on scotch regions this week, Lowland and Campbellton. By the time you're done, you'll be ready to have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. Uh, I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. <laughs> well, howdy, everybody. Also, I have to say, I, I just I almost missed my shot on the intro because I was like trying to find the perfect gif of applause to, <laughs> to send to Bob. <laughs> well, uh, everybody, we're doing something a little different this week. Not as much banter to start off with. However... So, a little new thing here. If you're looking for old things we did, like news, which used to go in a bit around here, it's in its own channel. You can find uh, fun things, like uh, the stone cases. The stone uh, keystone case is finally over. Only took three weeks. <laughs> After four years. <laughs> yeah. Once I finally made it to trial, it was only three weeks. And, uh, hey, guess what? Uh, it's going to become a yearly occurrence for... Uh, French wine regions to suffer untimely spring frosts. And, uh, dear God, what is Pepsi doing? Um, <laughs> what is Pepsi doing? What is Whistlepig doing? <laughs> There's so many, like, they thought, like, what's the quote? Like, they, let's they're too busy thinking about what they, what they could do. They should have thought about what they should do. Yeah. What? We just really need to pull that clip. They're honestly. all whistle pigs. Just they're getting the the tanks situated and the sharks are on order. They've got someone to jump them. <laughs> it, it's getting it's getting arranged. I also think they need to put some laser beams on those sharks, but that's neither here nor there. Here, here nor there. Exactly. Every creature deserves a hot meal. <laughs> all right. So on that note, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It stays. Okay, sorry. <laughs> anyway, on that note, we have a topic to get to. <laughs> mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. I said, because uh, I, I thought the scotch thing wasn't on there. And I was like, come on. Oh, I just <laughs> and then dug, I saw it. I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> I just dug I can't. my nose into this. That is... Mm-hmm. Oh, that is a I can't uh, I can't be dancing around drinking scotch, by the way. It gets all in my beard, which I guess is its own little special award for later. It's a flavor saver. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, guys. We've got two topics, so we better start barreling on through them. That was not a barrel pun on purpose. Um, we're starting out with a lowland scotch. Uh, do a little time for a little background. We we've done a lot about the history of scotch in the abstract, I guess. So cut most of that out. However, let's talk a little bit about the lowland region. Very little. You'll, you'll hardly know we're done. Scottish lowlands uh, don't get the hype like the highlands do. Personally, I blame Christopher Lambert. Uh, but it is a distinct Sco- uh, section of Scotland uh, with its own history and style uh, and style of Scotch. Uh, the area was filled with different tribes uh, by the time the Romans left. You had the Picts in the north, the Scots in the west, the Britons in the southwest, and the Angles in the southeast. Admittedly, this is a pretty white melting pot. But they were distinct groups with their own uh, their own languages, uh, and they were eventually sort of pushed together by outside forces, mostly a growing English kingdom, uh, and their shared conversion to Christianity. Uh, as the English kept marching in like they owned the place every few years, Scotland attempted to unify, and well, England was going to England. It eventually made them part of their United Kingdom. You can't see that. You can't hear the air quotes I just did there, but they were there. Uh, So let's fast forward a bit to get to the scotch. Uh, During the 18th century, distilleries in the lowlands uh, were increasingly geared towards production of spirits uh, for rectification, i.e. further distillation into gin. Uh, Immediately following the Act of Union of 1707, uh, when uh, when England and Scotland and Wales fusion danced into the United Kingdom. uh, They all buried the hatchet. Yeah, that's what they did. Well, the uh, hatchet was buried I, into <laughs> into Wales and uh, and Scotland and Ireland. Yeah, real deep in Ireland too. Uh, uh, anyway, they uh, they following the immediate uh, uh, immediately following the Act of Union of seventeen oh seven, they had a distinct advantage over more heavily taxed British distillers. Uh, since distillation in England was based on wheat. The increased demand for wheat, along with the corresponding increase in prices, was in the interest of the landed aristocracy. Uh, The result was the continued pressure on Parliament to protect the British gin distillers, and by extension, the aristocracy and their estates. They were supplying them with wheat, and uh, to raise the taxes on the Scottish lowland distilleries. Uh, The fact that at the same time, Parliament was also looking for more revenue to fund its wars in France made for a convenient pretext. Response of the uh, lowland distillers to raising taxes were to produce even more quantities of the spirit in order to amortize the tax uh, on a capacity against uh, even higher levels of production. (laughs) Oh, you want to tax? Fine. Just spread that out over so much money you won't even know what to do with it. Uh, uh, The Washa Axe had assumed the typical lowland distiller would charge – uh, would charge his stills an average of once every day. By changing the design of their stills, however, the lowland distillers were able to cycle their stills at an average of 10 to 20 times a day. Oh. <laughs> they're like, hey, guess uh, what? <laughs> we can work a lot more. They're like, oh, look at all this money we have to do. You know what, guys? Look, we've been really inefficient about this, and uh, I don't like taxes. So, hmm, let's move some tubes around. <laughs> uh Anyway, the result was a flood of cheap spirit. Uh, it was horrible whiskey. <laughs> However, uh, and it had little in common with uh, 
anything that was being produced in the Highlands fit only for rectification into gin. There was one other issue that was uh, shaping the government policy that ran counter to both interests uh, of parliament for tax revenue and for those of the British landed aristocracy. The pressing need to combat the rampant alcoholism from cheap gin. Uh, The... uh, the consumption of gin in London had reached uh, 3.5 million gallons in 1727. I want to point out again, in London, alone, not not all of not all of England. London was 3.5 million gallons of gin. I, they may have hit a million people by that point. <laughs> Population densities were not as dense as they are now. That's a lot of alcohol to be drinking. Uh, Got a lot you, of mean, seven, huh? you mean there were no high-rise hovels? No, there weren't. They hadn't yes. figured out a way to pack them into tenement slums yet. <laughs> they tried, but there was a fire. <laughs> and a plague. Yeah. And then a, a plague fire. <laughs> and flaming uh, rats raining from the sky. <laughs> I mean, you have to at that point you have to start going like, yeah, I guess the the the, the people claiming the end of the world was nigh. You have to look at him and go, yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I just I have Simon Whistler in my head. The past was the worst. <laughs> it really was. Uh, by seventeen thirty five, it had risen to five point five million gallons. They the, that's that's ten years for them. To, like not even ten years, and look back and go, those are rookie numbers. You got to get those numbers up. Uh, This was a rate of consumption of two pints per inhabitant per week. I mean, that tracks. And now I just see, you know, Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I mean, down this pint. Well, it's Wednesday. Time for a new pint. Uh, but but that's that's a like a, a liter <laughs> almost of gin a week yeah. per yes. person. That yes. means like let's just assume it's a family of four: <laughs> mom uh-huh. and dad and two kids. Those two kids are drinking a liter of gin <laughs> a week. Look, those yeah. two kids. Those two kids are. Uh, between them are sharing uh it it was their mountain dew yeah <laughs> the point of awful gin was their mountain dew i mean it was i mean an all turn like when you say mountain dew like no that it was it was the mountain well no they're in the lowlands there are no mountains there i mean there's rolling hills <laughs> yeah okay fine uh well, the British government government saw this uh, gin craze as a primary cause of rampant crime, as a serious uh, serious threat to <laughs> stop trying to distract me, devil man. Uh... Look, I found it earlier, and I was like, "There's no better time to send this to you guys." Uh, I got a message from a picture that just said, uh, uh, "Little Bobby's drunk again." If I can old timey like nineteen twenties book cover. Because it's a children's book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> three point three point nine out of four on Goodreads. 
The first four pages, it says, are of Bobby just trying to get up off the ground. Uh, I feel you, Bobby. I feel you. We've all been there, Bobby. Damn it, Bobby. Damn it. Uh, Whoa. Anyway, uh, they saw the gen craze as the primary cause of rampant crime and serious threat to the fabric of British society. Hand of a stiff upper lip when you're sloshing all over the place. So starting with the Gen Act of 1729, Parliament passed a series of Gen Laws. The Gen Act of seven, uh, 1736, the Sale of Spirits Act of 1750, and the Gen Act of 1751 to restrict and regulate the sale of gin. Basically, Bowen, the, the oh. English did what they do the best. <laughs> and that's bureaucrat and tax the ever-living hell out of everyone. <laughs> The Lowland distillers, particularly the Hagues and uh, Steins, uh, the first whiskey dynasties, had started sending whiskey down to London for rectification to gin in 1777. Although it's likely that the Lowland distillers were exporting whiskey to England before then, this was the first uh, officially recorded export of scotch outside of Scotland. Like, oh, you're taxing gin to death. All right, boys. We're doing whiskey. Uh, by 1766, uh, so, uh, 1786, the Scottish distillers controlled a quarter of the London gin market, responding to the pressure of British distillers. Parliament had passed the Scotch Distillers Act of 1786. Again, just a lot of laws in this. Uh, the new distiller, uh, the new duties on exported, uh, exports to England effectively shut down the lowland distilleries. Uh, export sales declined by more than 90%, and many lowland distillers were dro- driven into bankruptcy. Yep, that seems that seems pretty British. And you hear the pipes starting to play. This just in. I have more on Little Bobby's Drunk again. <laughs> okay. It takes place in Dumpwater, Florida. <laughs> Florida, Bobby, drunk again. Dump Life, water. school, and the Vietnam War become too much for Bobby to cope with. He turns <laughs> to drinking the stuff under the sink. He resorts to pulling out all of his hair and ripping off all of his skin. What? And eventually meets his death from alcohol poisoning. What? Is this a Jack, did Jack Chick write a book in addition to comics? Even better. Herbert Biddleman is a pen name for L. Ron Hubbard. Oh my god, of course it is. We all just went on a wild trip that lasted about 45 <laughs> seconds. What? <laughs> It ended with Scientology. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in fairness, L. Ron Hubbard was paid by the page. He wrote a lot of books. But, oh my God, Little Bobby's Drunk Again by L. Ron Hubbard. How did that not become a religion? I, I vote Every we, turn uh... was a left. I'm sorry, the Don, Don John Masters in chat made me laugh. I, I uh, yeah. I vote we make the religion for little Bobby. <laughs> what does that entail? I don't know. We're going to have to read this text. Anyway, and something completely related, the end of the Napoleonic Wars eliminated Parliament's pressing financial needs. It was also clear by then that the regulatory system that had evolved since 1707 had produced chaos, rampant illicit hmm. distillation, and smuggling. Little effective regulation and not much tax revenue. 
what's that when you tax something into oblivion tax alcohol into oblivion they just start and go hmm time to get the shrine <laughs> yeah uh the pachin kettles get going in 1816 one year after waterloo taxes on whiskey were cut to a third <laughs> uh that's i mean that's a good way to celebrate and napoleon's you know, done whiskey's for everyone and after waterloo you know the majority of the continent needed a stiff drink. <laughs> well, I mean, of course they needed one. They had just gotten, you know, yeah. screwed over by, uh, was it Von Metternich? Yeah, hard. Just coming up going like, hey guys, draw new maps. Everything goes back to how it was. No one revolts again. Uh, and the use of smaller stills was again allowed in the lowlands. Following a lengthy royal commission, Parliament passed the excise tax of 1823. Taxes were again decreased, and most restrictions on production and export of whiskey for licensed distillers were eliminated. The first time in history, taxes were decreased or eliminated. <laughs> Duties were levied uh, at the rate of 12% per gallon for still. No, 12 pence. Or 12 pence. Yes, thank you for... Correcting my eyes. Uh, 12 pence per gallon for steels with a capacity of more than 40 gallons. <laughs> God, that's not even a dollar per gallon. In addition, there was a licensing fee of 10 pounds sterling. The act represented the first attempt to enact legislation that would both promote legitimate distillation while ensuring reliable tax revenue for the government. Following the passage of the 1823 excise tax, Act, I keep wanting to say tax act, excise act, uh, there was a significant increase in the number of licensed distilleries, primarily in the lowlands. The modern Scotch whiskey industry was about to be born. <laughs> they held up the bottle to all the other distillers from high on the rock, and all <laughs> the distillers bowed. Uh, that's only, is this like uh, the Lion King? Mm -hmm. Only it's, uh, it's just bagpipes playing it. And <laughs> The bagpipes playing the circle of life. It's yeah. got to be on YouTube, right? Somewhere, the bagpipes circle of life. I have no life. doubt in my mind. Uh, you need to be the one looking for that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, <laughs> where is the lowland whiskey region? I mean, I know geographically the lowlands, but is that exactly the whiskey region? Uh, the lowland whiskey region is located in the southernmost parts of Scotland, covering much of the central belt and the south of Scotland, including Edinburgh, the Lothians, Glasgow, uh, the Clyde Valley, the Kingdom of Fife. <laughs> Sorry, it, it always blows my mind that that's real because Glory <laughs> Hammer made a, a, a fake kingdom for a fantasy, I don't know, band <laughs> that is the Kingdom of Fife. Anyway, uh, Dumfries and Galloway and the Scottish Borders. This is arguably Scotland's most accessible whiskey region due to the inevitable travel links from the key, uh, what? Conurbations? God. I'm not sure. All right. Uh, that it's so close to Edinburgh and Glasgow. I mean, Scotland, those are your, those are your two towns. It ain't happening there. It ain't happening. The border with England marks the region's southern boundary. If you draw a... That was a, a moving target before <laughs> this. 
you draw a rough <laughs> diagonal line uh, from the Firth of Tay in the east to the Firth of Clyde in the west, you'll have its northern frontier. Yeah, I pulled this off of a Scottish visitor website. So, uh, and just uh, so everyone there, knows, there, there were some words I'm like, I don't know, man. That's probably some <laughs> British nonsense. Scotch, like Scotch is a drink. It's, it's also a language. Like Scots English is a thing. So, um, conurbation suburbs. Okay. Oh, okay. Burbia, gotcha. Conurbation. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Not yeah. urbation. Yeah. Today we all learned. Mm. Uh, That's what we're here <laughs> for. You, the have more a, you know. Have a grammar. So the lowland <laughs> distilleries, the the lowlands as a malt whiskey making region are staging a comeback. Remarkably, of the seven lowland malt distilleries currently operational, only uh, how did we we have a pronunciation uh, guide? Akintoshin. Akintoshin. Akintoshin, and we don't have a pronunciation guide for the next one. Nope. <laughs> Glen <laughs> Kinchi. Glen Glenkichi. We're saying it wrong. I know. Uh, date from prior to two thousand five. Uh, and I've so- always said it Glen Kinchi. But I think it goes back to the um, the Iron Chef days where it was Chef Chin Kenichi. Uh, <laughs> so that's where I'm getting that pronunciation. All right. All right. Uh, well, they he was date- Chinese, though. So <laughs> they date from prior Glenn to Kinchi. Oh, OK. Glenn Kinchi. I just, I just like, I'm just going to Google it real quick. So, you know, one of our friends and helpers for some of these episodes doesn't stroke out on us. <laughs> I don't know. He'll just laugh and have a drink. Uh, but they date from prior to 2005, and several additional lowland distilling projects are in the pipeline. All right. It's good to hear. Uh, Glen Kenichi Distillery, best known for its 12-year-old and distiller's edition, 14-year-old single malts is located in the lush farmlands of East Lothian, some 15 miles southeast of Edinburgh. It was established in 1825 and a century later became part of the Old Distillers Company Limited Empire. In 1986, Glen Kinchy, with its single pair of stills, was chosen as the lowland representative in the original classic malts lineup. I'm trying to remember who, because we've talked about the old distillers, uh, uh, limited. We have. I feel uh, like we have before, and I'm trying to remember what old distillers company limited, and I'm trying to remember who the other, who the other people are. Continue talking. Sorry, Al. Glenn, Glenn Kinchy always gave me, like, the mental picture of cheesecake whenever I drank it. Huh. That was sort of the the profile that I. Maybe. Associated it I'm with. Okay with that. You're making me wish I'd gotten that. Uh, <laughs> Glen Kinchy has more to offer the committed visitor than many other Scottish distilleries, as the former Maltings have been a museum since 1969 and is now officially the Museum of Malt Whiskey Production. Oh, housing a fascinating range of distilling. Pl- now I'm mad because I was there. <laughs> I probably rode a train past this place several times and didn't know it. Uh, Housing a fascinating range of distilling plant and memorabilia, including a scale model distillery for the 1924 British Empire Exhibition. I am very upset with myself now. (laughs) You didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. (laughs) All right. Uh, Uh... 
Yeah. All right, let's get on to the uh, Akon. What was it? Akintoshin. Akintoshin. Akintoshin is located ten miles from the center of Glasgow. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave this it. Uh, and the distillery was first licensed in 1823. Now operating as part of Morrison Bowmore Distillers Limited, owned by the giant Japanese distilling concern of Suntory Limited, which we've discussed. <laughs> At length. <laughs> uh, DLC used to own everyone that wasn't like Doors and Johnny Walker, by the way. Uh, okay. And uh, I think eventually got bought by Guinness and then got bought by Diageo. Sure. And in case So they've popped up in a number of our episodes. That's yes. Sorry, this was bugging me. In case uh, you're wondering, Glasgow is Gotham in the Batman. <laughs> uh, and in real life. That's just Glasgow. Like It's... it's <laughs> It's it's just they didn't have to go and put fake graffiti or trash. No, that they just had to take a camera out in the street. That was it. <laughs> That's Glasgow. We we have some. I don't know if you ask us, you can get some uh, behind the scenes quotes about <laughs> what initial uh, expectations were of that city. Anyway, Akintoshin mm. uh, is located ten miles from the center of Glasgow. Blah blah blah. Owned by yep Suntory. Uh, Akintoshin yeah. practices triple distillation, once a characteristic of lowland malt distilling, and the core range focuses on American oak, three wood, 12, 18, and 21-year-old single malts. A conference center has been developed at the distillery along with impressive visitor facilities. I mean, I want my next employee outing. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, unlike most of its uh, contemporaries, Annandale Distillery is actually based on the reconstruction and revival of an existing whiskey-making facility operational between 1830 and 1921. Annandale's renaissance, uh, this is from Whiskey Magazine, is largely thanks to locally-born businessman Dr. David Thompson, Right, who has spent a large sum of money restoring and enhancing the old distillery structures over a period of seven years and creating an extremely attractive visitor experience in the process. I feel like if one of us were to become independently wealthy, yeah. this is the kind of thing that we would just be like, so what are you doing with all your money? And it's like, I'm restoring this old rundown <laughs> distillery for the Into, for the giggles, like for my own yeah. private play place. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, that... If, if if one of us won won like a, a a crazy large lottery, it's like after after we've like set aside money to be prepared for life, it's then just yeah, let's make the let's make Whiskey Wonka's chocolate factory or Whiskey Wonka's wa- yeah. whiskey distillery. That's essentially if I, yeah, I love it. If I were a millionaire and had beaten Castle and Key to uh, uh, <laughs> to yeah. those grounds, that's what I would have built down there. Well, I was going to say, like, this is very, it's like, this is, this is the Scotch E.H. Uh, e. Taylor <laughs> yeah. story, essentially. Well, uh, so oh. another. Oh. oh, sorry. Casey had a thing. Yeah. Just as, uh, you know, we, we touched on the um, blended side of things a few minutes ago with Johnny Walker. So the Johnny Walker just blended whiskeys pull from Glen Kinchy. Uh, in this region, whenever they blend. So that's another Diageo um, owned. And so that's what they pull their whiskey from when they blend. 
I bet it was real easy once Diageo owned basically all of the most of the Scotch world for them to be like, oh, we've got blends. Yeah, yeah it's there's really easy. Tw- Just move it from A to B. Blends for there's days. 21 Scotch distilleries that Diageo owns. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll still go out there and say Johnny Walker can repair any like whiskey snob damage that's been done for you know doing all all the blends by just putting on the label where they're sourcing like what was sourced because they start doing it with a green label and that would make it like a hot commodity mm-hmm. and that was pretty good actually that was excellent all right sorry continue yes so uh, uh once thought of by us as a separate entity <laughs> we are combining here uh Campbelltown, the style of Scotch is. Are we saying like I don't it? Know. It it is it is its own Scotch region now. But we'll talk a little. We'll, we'll talk Scotland. briefly about that in a second. Okay. Uh, so it may be the smallest of Scotland's whiskey regions today, but Campbelltown used to be the whiskey capital of the world, with more than thirty distilleries in the town. Today there you can are just see how big this area is. It is like a small peninsula, <laughs> like before you get to like the other part of Scotland. Like it's, it's, it's tiny. Essentially every block had its own distillery. It was the Starbucks of its day. It was, uh, drunk um, <laughs> bucks. It was basically the Fort Collins of <laughs> Scotland. Yeah. Uh, today there are just three distilleries remaining. Springbank, Glen Scotia and oh, Glen Giles Kilcarran. I'm so sorry. Uh, they're a small band, but these surviving distilleries are still big players in the whiskey world, producing some of Scotland's best malts. And because of the town's history and the unique characteristics of the malts, Campbelltown is classified as one of Scotland's official whiskey regions alongside Isla, Speyside, Highlands, and Little Lowlands. Uh, Campbelltown became a whiskey boomtown in the 1800s. All the, all the ingredients were there for the whiskey industry, including the fertile fields of... Kintyre? Sure. Yeah. Uh, for barley, peat bogs to supply peat for the malting process, the waters of the nearby Cross Hill Lock, and coal from Drum, Drumlimble? Drumlimble? Mine near... Oh. to fuel the stills. I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, it's not even like a different, a technically a different language. Like it's, it's, I, I told you. Yeah. No, it is. <laughs> Scots English. It's a, it's a real thing. Um, not officially, but it may as well be. Uh, so most importantly, perhaps was the natural deep sea Harbor. Campbelltown was a bustling port. And as a Campbelltown's whiskey industry grew, steam took the whiskey to the fast growing markets of Glasgow and on to London and America. By the late 1800s, Campbelltown was a prosperous, flourishing town. Uh, check out the villas on the east side of Campbelltown Bay, and you'll get a taste of the wealth that whiskey and herring uh, brought to the town. <laughs> because <That's> a... port. Hmm. <laughs> love me some whiskey and herring in the morning. I immediately went to, Maybe? instead of like, I was fantasizing basically like a little Irish uh, Isles kind of town. And then when it got to the herring, and suddenly my mind just went to cloudy with a chance of meatballs. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, but it wasn't to last. Seventeen distilleries closed in the 1920s, and by the end of the decade, only uh, Rykloken was still distilling. 
ni- by 1934, Springbank and Glen Scotia had restarted production, but uh, Reichlocken, I'm sorry, you guys, uh, had shut for good. So what were the reasons? The demand for the region's whiskey was so great that the distilleries couldn't keep up and quality began to fail or fall. Speyside became connected to the newly built railways in the north of Scotland, allowing it to boost, produ- boost production. World Wars, Prohibition, and the Great Depression in America all contributed to Campbelltown, Campbelltown's decline. Sure, sure. Blame it on America. I mean, <laughs> when Scotch was one of the, the biggest selling alcohols prior to Prohibition, the second they said you can't buy it legally, Scotland there going, yeah, yeah. Oh, come on, dude. <laughs> Uh, its status as one of five officially recognized Scotch manufacturing regions was revoked as oh. its distilleries slowly withered away. Ouch. Yeah, when you they got down to those two, and Scotland went, you can't play anymore. You're not a region. Welcome to the Lowlands. Mm. So by 2010, only two were left, Springbank and Glen Scotia. Its lost status was returned when a third... Glengyle, owned by J&A Mitchell and Company, announced it was starting up a new distillery. Its first release was in 2014. The whiskey will be sold under the name Kilcarran since a Highland blend malt named Glengyle is already on the market. So wait, uh, <laughs> Campbelltown just, uh, I'm going to say recently because I'm yeah. old and this passage of time blows my mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it just came years. back into, ba- into being eight years ago. Yeah, in the last decade, it got back to being a category again. Yes. It got back into being a region again. All right. Claire, like, the, I don't know, this is like my mind, again, episode after episode, my mind just... <laughs> That's how I felt when I got when I was doing the research on this, and I got to that bit. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that when we started this, because how long have we been doing this show? Uh, five or six years? Six years. That yeah, that that we were only like a couple years removed from them getting their their classification back. Yeah, I guess. Wow. <laughs> all right. And so timing is is the moral of today's episode. Today we all uh, learned. Yeah. Uh, so Campbelltown does does not have a distinctive regional style, although this may change if more distilleries begin operating there. The I mean, if there's only three of them, it's really hard <laughs> to have you know <laughs> right. all of them agree. We make it this way. Right. Uh, especially when one's like so new. Um, the use of peat varies by distillery, as does the practice of finishing malt in casks that previously held other liquids. Stylistically, its distilleries feature elements typical of both the Lowland and Isla distilleries. In addition, Springbank uses an unusual two and a half times distillation process. A combination. You have a half distillation. <laughs> Casey's face. Um, <laughs> So, Casey's face was what I said. Yeah. yeah. How? <laughs> a combination of double and triple distillation, which creates its signature style. Uh, the distillery's water source is Lock Cross Hill. It uses two wash and two spirit, spirit stills and produces about 600,000 gallons of spirits per year. I'm a dumb American, but all this talk about the lock that they're using for their, their water now makes me wonder, is there a scotch distillery off of Loch Ness? Um, yes, they're going to be so like Loch Ness is the largest lake in Scotland. Like, yeah, it, it feeds tributaries and yeah. So there, the, the number of them then. Okay. Yeah. The monster, the monster's doing good work. Yeah. The monster's doing great work. 
apparently uh, monster bath water makes great whiskey. That's very <laughs> offensive. She may not be a monster. We don't know. Um, <laughs> Nessie P. <laughs> yeah. Or if Disney is to be believed uh, and <laughs> Scottish treasure. Uh, Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly, the, the short. Oh, that was a, that's about, a really good short. It's, the, the lock was filled with Nessie's tears. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so nowadays. Look, and, and Nessie P is fine at this point. We've distilled it out. Yeah. It's why it's safe to drink now. I you don't need, drink that water. You make scotch out of it. We we now need the the sounder from Dodgeball when he's like oh, uh drinks his own urine. Is that necessary? Necessary? No. Is it necessary no. that I drink my own urine? No, but it's sterile and I like the taste. <laughs> God. Yep. Uh nowadays spring bake. Glen Scotia and Glen Giles Kilcarran produce whiskey with unique characteristics. Campbelltown whiskeys are bold. Peat provides the smokiness while there are strong maritime notes. Maritime notes. I like the way that they say that. Uh, Yarr, taste of the sea. (laughs) Uh, Drag pipes play Jurassic Park. Drag pipes play Jurassic Park. Uh, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That sounds too nice. Um, so experts talk of a whiff of the sea on the nose and a salty, briny flavor on the palate. Springbank malts are probably the most robust, while Glen Scotia malts are lighter with grassy notes. Glen Giles Kilcarran malts are lighter and sweeter, but with a distinctive oily and salty notes you'd expect from a Campbelltown whiskey. So they do almost kind of have their own style at this point. Just not officially. That's- but they say oily. I always think of uh, probably like the first time I had scotch. I was with Casey. We were out drinking, and you had known like to like like hey no look at the wa- look at the top of the scotch, and then you like put some water in there, and you can literally see like the oil starting to separate a bit, mm. and like, you see like the kind of like the color stuff there. I'm just like, I am now very confused about what I'm about to, about to drink. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, sorry. I, I tried the pairing. Um, although I don't have a, a Campbelltown scotch, um, I did have some herring. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. I was wondering why you went off and left. I, I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> it's all right, but, you know, doesn't, doesn't go with the, uh, the other scotches, apparently. I feel like Not a herring f- and, you know, something with a bit more peat and smokiness, like with a Highland, when that would be like a, you know, knocking it out of the park. Where's yeah. Iowa? Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about spring break. Spring break. Spring break. <laughs> Rum Springer. <laughs> I was listening to a uh, Spotify playlist earlier today, and uh, it was 2000s and 90s pop. Oh God! And I look over, and one of the songs that's playing. I, I mean, I'd heard the song um, many times before, but whenever I look over and see what. Um, what they had taken it off of. It wasn't the artist's album. They had taken it off of the Girls Gone Wild playlist, <laughs> uh, like a uh, soundtrack. Oh, I was like, uh, really? Like, this is where you went and got this? So that it's happens it's to the me. version of it they probably had available on that on that platform. That happens to Maybe me, but so. it's always like the Jackass soundtracks, because they love <laughs> to grab like early 90s and late 80s punk for those movies. Yep. I mean, that's that's what they liked, so... Yeah. So uh, let's talk about Spring Bank. Entering Spring Bank Distillery is much like traveling 150 years back in time. 
Founded in 1828, it has been in the hands of the Mitchell family for over 180 years. Marked by the fickle nature of the whiskey industry, continuity is now the watchword for Springbank. After a period of closure during the Scotch whiskey crisis of the 1980s, (laughs) yes, please. Um, the distillery decided to no longer sell to blenders and instead began focusing solely on the production of single malt whiskey. We call that then, the dark ages. <laughs> then we call that in, the, uh, the, 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 the piss-off Johnny Walker period. Yeah. Uh, then in an unprecedented move, the brand reopened its malting floors in 1992. Today, Spring Bank is Spring Bank <laughs> is the only distillery in Scotland to fully malt its own barley. That is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, roughly sixty people are employed by Spring Bank, which is an unusually large amount in recent times. Automation and computers have made it possible to operate Scotland's largest distilleries with a handful of employees, with a maximum capacity of seven hundred fifty thousand liters per annum though the brand usually produces less. It is one of the country's smallest distilleries. Yet, Spring Bank is deservedly one of Scotland's cult whiskies, producing whiskey that takes you back to a different era. Spring Bank remembers. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> oh, Spring Bank remembers a simpler time. <laughs> uh, Glen Scotia, uh, originally named Scotia, this Campbelltown distillery was built in 1832 together with Springbank. It is one of only two distilleries that have survived the onslaught of the distillery closures in the tumultuous 1920s. Although not earlier in the thing, but although not without a few scratch marks. As an illustration, Glen Scotia is said to be haunted by former distillery owner Duncan McCallum, who died in 1930. Workers today still avoid certain areas after dark. Probably just because they're afraid of bumping into things, like a lights out somewhere. That's um, you got in those rick houses. That's like when they talk about at Buffalo Trace and the tours, like, oh yeah, and a wall collapsed on you know in a rick house, and X amount of workers died in the accident. And you're looking around, you're like, this place is just like an OSHA nightmare. Uh, I do like you. You had mentioned like they, they used to be just uh, just Scotia. We talked during the Highland episode how. They just started throwing Glen onto things to make it like it, that's what Scotch is now. It's Glen this, Glen Scotia. Oh, that was a uh, uh, no. It wasn't high. We haven't done Highland yet. That was the uh, oh uh, the news episode. No. Um, ah, let me start with Highland. No, we haven't. I'm doing Highland. Oh, okay. Uh, someone check. What, didn't we do Isla? No, we haven't done Isla yet either. Man, what? <laughs> so it's not we did Isla, space. Campbelltown, we did Lowlands, side. or Highlands. We did space so side. whatever that other one space is. Side. Space Side was the first we one. We did Space Side. Space Side's the one where they're like, look, just space throw Glenn on it because it, that's where you get your Glenfiddich. And... That's Glenfiddich. Yeah, that's right. That's Sorry. Was. Uh, like it's something familiar. <laughs> like all the ones you're familiar with. Uh, Glen Scotia never made much of a name for itself as a single malt, instead often selling its whiskey in bulk. Uh, the distillery's course changed, though, when it was bought by a private equity fund. Single malt whiskey is now the main focus of Glen Scotia, and an entire new core range was launched just for just a few years ago. Good to see. Yeah. Glen Gyle. 
the youngest of the three Campbelltown distilleries. Glengal restarted production in 2004 after being closed for almost 80 years. The distillery is owned by J.A. Mitchell & Company, the same company that also owns and operates Springbank. However, given that... I thought we were away from that word. However, <laughs> given that a different party owns Glengal trademarks, um, the whiskey made at Glengal is named Kilcarrot. Of course it is. <laughs> Notably, Glengyle is the distillery that saved Campbelltown's status as an official whiskey region. Can't be two. Got to have three. Yep. I, two of two of you are just just uh just some 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 jackanapes just brewing and <laughs> just, just distilling on your own. Some three drunk, of you, you've got a whole region. <laughs> some drunk Scotsman. Three of you, you got something official. Two's a partnership. Three's a region. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Casey. That's a nice, succinct way of... of... Around the start of the new millennium, the Scotch Whiskey Association contemplated to absorb Campbelltown and make it part of the Highlands region, as it was seen as too insignificant to stand alone. Adding Glengyle up the total of Campbelltown distilleries to three, the same number the Lowland region had at the time, essentially negating SWA's (laughs) argument. (laughs) Yeah, I, I like that. Just the, 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 it's like, all right, well, we'll just put them in the Highland. We'll all be fine about it. We've opened up a third one. I mean, three is not a lot. Low, lowland scotch is there going. Three is plenty. <laughs> three is quite adequate, we found. It's, it's what you do with those three, not, <laughs> not how many you have. Now let's go from, some some of these these three distilleries to uh, something a little bit different, um, and we get to Cadenhead. So while not a distillery, it's an independent bottler that is an important part of Campbelltown's revival. Cadenhead has been around for 176 years, and starting out as a vintner in Aberdeen. Uh, this company was bought by J.A. Mitchell and Company in the 1970s, and it moved to Campbelltown and adopted the philosophy of its parent company. Cadenhead's uh, long-term stability, uh, says, is the name of the game. It's grown exponentially in the last five years, but it's hardly selling as much whiskey as it can, choosing to go slowly rather than fast and furious. Nonetheless, Cadenhead's— family. Yep, it's about family. <laughs> Nonetheless, Cadenhead's opened shops all over UK and European mainlands. It is one of the biggest independent bottlers of Scotch whiskey in the world, sitting on a treasure trove of casks waiting to be bottled in the future. It has a very bright future, actually. In a relatively short period of time, Campbelltown has gained a cult status among whiskey enthusiasts. While it was never, uh, well, likely never grow to the heights of the century's past, the town has at least particularly reclaimed its heritage. Glen Scotia is stable and is set up for the future, but most remarkable is the charitable trust that is J.A. Mitchell and Company. Uh, they've set one up for Springbank, Glen Giles, and Cadenheads. It leaves the people of Campbelltown in charge, ensuring the companies won't be divided amongst different buyers when current chairman and owner Hudley Headley <laughs> Hedley, Hedley. Hedley. Headley Headley. Uh, Headley Wright passes. Um, the future of Campbelltown whiskey is not only bright, it is safe. I mean, uh, I kind of wish I was able to kind of find some of the Campbelltown stuff because a lot of this sounds kind of interesting. Although, 
I am not disappointed with with what we did get today. No, but uh, as uh, we asked uh, Jim, who we've consulted with on many things to do with these Scotch episodes, and he was like, hey, combine these two, and guess what? Campbelltown's near impossible to find. <laughs> yeah. It's also... Uh, it's also the only region that does not have a Diageo-owned oh, brand. That makes it and so, premium. Yeah, therefore, it also doesn't have representation, most likely, in Johnny Walker. Yeah. Uh, it might. Yeah. There might well, be something out there where they've sourced it from a different company, but typically I would expect Johnny Walker well, to stay within their own bounds. Yeah, well, and where they mentioned that uh, Glen Scotia used to do bulk deliveries for uh, presumably for blending. Now that they don't do that, they don't. You know, they're not having to go out to those other people. So I bet they, I bet you they don't. And with Cadenhead being their own blender of sorts, um, they don't really have to sell a whole lot out. Yeah, they wouldn't. All right. Yeah, that's the whole the whole philosophy here. I think it's more of the like. Um, we've been. It would almost be like if. Uh, uh, Indiana, uh, the the group in Indiana, MGP, that makes yeah. all the whiskey for everybody else, came out and said, you know what? We're tired of selling to you. We're going to just make our own and make their own brands of rye, which I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, yeah, but also I'd be down for that. <laughs> oh, I would buy the crap out of it. Yeah, they could rye me. Cause, because they make good rye that they sell to other people to make their own historical blends uh it's damn tasty though so speaking speaking of damn tasty why don't we get into what we're drinking drink with me friend no carbonation this time (laughs) it does not sound like that turns out Uh, doesn't it it's more of that satisfying cork it it would sound like that uh if we were uh uh, Winston Churchill, where he would do scotch and sodas. Man was a monster. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so look, ten scotch and sodas a day helped helped win World War Two. <laughs> that man's right. a monster. Actually, you know, he is a monster for a lot of other reasons. So I can't I can't <laughs> yeah. say I don't want to be right. Uh, I'm not saying battle strategy or anything, but no, he's a, he's a monster. Uh, um. So I am gonna hold up the box since for once I don't have blur on my, on my camera. Um so it is blurred. Yep, blurred. You have blur on your camera. No, it's just it No, is. it's just it's, Oh, there it is. Garbage is all. Um it's a nice box. It is. It is a good box. Uh Which so is deceiving for the very plain bottle that hides within it. Yeah. So I mean, so that's why you make a good box like that. <laughs> Chris and uh, Bob and I are all drinking the same thing, um, miraculously. So this is, and the, the reason why we <laughs> knew sort of how to say it is because on the box they give a nice pronunciation, uh, Akintoshen, which just sounds German. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like a children's clothing line of Oshkosh Bagosh Scotch. <laughs> I need... If I if I need David Tennant to tell me the name of this distillery, and then I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so it's a lowland. Not again. We couldn't find Campbelltown, uh, but forty percent single malt Scotch. Um, this is and as we talked about in the episode, they kind of specialize, I guess, uh, it, or focus on uh, the American oak. 
So uh, that's what this is, and it's pretty good. I'm like so. It is extremely light for a scotch. Yeah, I will. I will say that it gives it a very drinkable quality, which I mean is dangerous, but it still has a lot of those warm, not really sm- smoky. Like you don't like peat doesn't I, come across very strong. I get what you're saying though, because I was like, it's smoky, but it's not smoky. At all. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's got it's got a little bit of a smoky bite to it, but it's not very. I would call it earthy. Like that's what Pete gives it as an earthiness. Yes, mm. it it's it's not campfire. Like on a scale not, of of you know one to Lagavulin, it's it's not there at all. Scale of one to Lagavulin, it's like a it's like a three to a four. Yeah, it's it's just past introductory. I would say, mm. like this this is something I wouldn't hand to someone right off the bat, being like, oh, you've never had scotch, you should try this. I mean, I would, but I'm a monster. <laughs> well, That's the Glen Kenji. It, it feels like the the safest route, though. Like, if, especially if they're not um, about, if someone's not about that, like hardcore, like the the campfire situation. It's in a really, it's a less, I, it's a less peaty. Um, can we get Japanese t-shirts to say Scotch Life? Scotch Life. It's a less peaty Japanese whiskey. Mm. Oh well, actually, I don't think Japanese whiskeys ever get. Japanese whiskey is a bit more fruity. I think it's like, like fruity and date, like dates and some of that yeah. is usually what I get out of it some just, of, some of those. It just throws me more towards a Japanese whiskey than a traditional Scotch, and the Japanese whiskeys are you know close. This that, this has a yeah. um, I kind of okay. So rather than the smokiness of like the like an actual like <laughs> smoke flavoring or campfire kind of situation. This reminds me of like a tobacco kind of vibe, mm. like it, which kind of goes with the earthy thing, I guess. But that's yeah. that's where my head goes. It's it's a tobacco quality. Yeah, uh, Casey just shared a shirt in our chat that says uh, "Life uh, happens, Scotch helps." Yeah, yeah. It, it really does until it doesn't. <laughs> until it's the cause. Until uh, London's having to pass uh, <laughs> new acts to control. Anywho, but yeah, so this this seems to be pretty good, honestly. This yeah, this is a very drinkable, easy easy to drink scotch. Um, Lagavulin, and uh, I, I've got some scotches there that like I break out on like rare occasions where I want to be fancy, or I just I can just I'm, I need a little extra something. This is a good kind of everyday scotch, although for a good everyday scotch, it's just a little more than I would like to pay for it. Yes. I I think the price is maybe not what it should be. If it was about yeah. if about ten dollars cheaper, I would love this thing. I would buy it all the time. Yes, uh, price point is not where I would like to see it. But speaking of price points, where you don't want to see them, I think Casey. Casey, Casey what are you doing? <laughs> Casey, how's that monocle feel? Indeed. Um. So I'm having the Akintoshan single malt three wood. Oh god, that's so many woods. Uh, which has the subheading "rich and elegant." It doesn't uh, have the, the 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 heading. That's a lot of boners. <laughs> um, so take the American wood, basically, up the proof just a little bit, not much, uh, but just up it a bit, 
and then age it in two different sherry casks. One, a very long-term aged, like a long sherry cask, so a sherry that's like really aged and oxidized. Um, and then the other one is a, and so that's the Oloroso. Um, and the other one is a um, sherry that has a lot of sweetness to it. So a really sweet sherry um, is the one it gets finished on. That's a really good idea to put it in like a, a an acidic and a sweet sherry yeah. cask. Mm. Thanks, Cap. Um, and so you get the balance of, of both of those. Um, I, whenever I first opened this bottle, I don't get it as much as I do now, or I, I don't get it as much now as I did then. But I got a huge amount of prunes um, mm. in the in the aroma whenever I first got it. Um, no real mal- uh, 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 peatiness at all. Um, a little bit of like a molassesy aroma um, and flavor, and then some raisins in there as well. But uh, very much a a sweeter expression, I think. Um, while also drying at the very end, um, I almost get dry mouth after I've finished it. it. It's that sort of extremely drying flavor, which is uh, which is a good thing, but also a dangerous thing. Yeah, it, it's it maybe a little bit of the tannin from the oak that's leached out um, that kind of helps dry it up a bit. Delicious though, and um, it was definitely a splurge bottle. It's like, and, yeah. and how much was that, Casey? Uh, <laughs> it was eighty eighty nine plus tax. And ours was pushing a hundred. When I saw like that exact bottle he had gotten, because I was like, "Oh, let's all drink the same thing." And I saw the price, and I was like, "No, thank you." Yeah. See, I, I couldn't remember if K- if Casey had a, a different one or not when I was going to shop, but Chris had shared a picture, which at least gave me a clue of where I was going, and I was like, "Oh, it's the only Lowland Scotch they have near me." And uh, with the picture and the great sale tags, a dollar off. <laughs> Can't Ho- beat that price. Apparently one whole Casey, dollar. Apparently Casey could. Uh, All right. Well, um, mine came from a uh, uh, Virginia state-owned liquor store. Virginia. So, so that may be the reason they are not. Their taxes may be different, but also uh, they do ABC not com- in Virginia. Uh, I guess so. The Virginia ABC stores are the only ones that I've seen. Uh, okay, that's what I was gonna say. Like, I'm pretty sure. Like, well, I I, I don't know for a certain because I'm. I'm never in Virginia, but, uh, uh, but that's, uh, I was just assuming they had, if it's a state owned, I just assume it's an ABC. That's where they go for their zombie dust. Um, Casey, if you missed that part in the news episode, we talked about the the most popular beers or most checked into beers on untapped and Virginia's is three Floyd's zombie dust. One of the things that I, I found interesting is you cannot join their, lottery for any of the pappy or their special bottles mm. unless you are a virginia resident <laughs> you, did you yeah. raise protest i'm a kentucky resident i should be like, a kentucky res- I, I, well i admit to which they I, presumably they would respond then go get it yourself yeah and you went there you can't get bourbon in kentucky the <laughs> cobbler's short cobbler's children have no shoes that's true we export so it all all right uh well uh let's let's this this uh, episode was written by one Justin Bob Frazier. 
using a long list of sources. Some of them are from the same thing, but different articles. Like the Whiskey Wash had some good stuff. Uh, uh, some rough history from everyculture.com. Visit Scotland had some stuff. Uh, Whiskey Mag, Distiller, Mag, uh, com, and uh, a couple other ones. They'll be up on the website. Uh, but uh, the the Whiskey Wash ones were particularly important for a lot of stuff. And the Distiller.com ones, they, they, they made up the bulk of the episode. So here comes a, a bit of behind the scenes for everyone who's stuck in here that we've not figured out how to do the transitions for the new format. So how do you guys want to do it? Do you want to sign off and then get into person? Yeah, I think I think we're trying to like different different yeah. versions of this. So we'll sign off and then we'll do like kind of like a, a catch up thing afterwards and if, just if you, you like know. tuning in for the beginning, what used to be the beginning bit where we get personal with our lives, that is now tacked on at the end as kind of a post show. We're, we're toying with this. If you don't like it. Neat. We need a sounder. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to come up with a new a new sounder. I mean, if we're doing it at the end, we can use the I'm drunk, you're drunk, everyone's drunk, and then we... Oh, yeah. that's This is true. All right, well, we'll <laughs> do that after after sign-off. Yeah. So, all right. It, it is official sign-off. You didn't hear any of the last couple minutes. So. All right. You can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on social media dot, and twitch.tv. And stick around after the show for some witty banter. You can tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback. Let us know what you think about the new format where we're, we're trying to cut cut ourselves out of the show. That sounds negative. That's not what I mean. Uh, <laughs> you can you can you know check in later, peer deep into our souls, and tell us what you think about that. Uh, anyway, just use the feed uh, use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com or use the feedback page on the website. Uh, Screaming into the into the dark oblivion only lets me know because I'm the only one there. All joking and fun aside, has anyone checked to see that the feedback uh, web address works? I don't have access to that. <laughs> it works, Brittany. It it forwards to the other email address. Okay. Well, we'd also like to remind everyone to please <laughs> drink responsibly. All right. Um. So normally I would say check us out another couple weeks for the like, next live episode, but. Because of the Easter holiday, we're going to do some pre-records and whatnot. So uh, I think the le- next live episode then would be uh, either end of April or early May. So, Look, who really knows when Easter is? It's always a mystery. <laughs> kind of is. Uh, so, it almost um, hits my birthday this year, which is really eerie. Look, Chris, you're the only reason I, I can always make sure I get my taxes in uh, in time. It's Chris's you birthday. and my cousin. Got to get my taxes in. It's not uh, Chris's birthday yet. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, either way, remember to check us out on patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. And also, we have haveadrinkstore.com if you want to check out some merch. Maybe some new scotch merch will be coming. I don't know. Hopefully. Uh, once again, I'm Brittany V. Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. But please stick around for banter. We do a post show. Oh. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>